Um, now, if you'll join me on the back of the bulletin, we have our reading for this morning. And uh, going to be three different passages, Galatians 5, John 16, and Luke 2. You can check it out on the board, too, or on the back of your bulletin. Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy. John 16, 20 to 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Luke 2, 8-14 And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you for these words that I get to read, that we hear. I pray that we would hear them and in a deeper way we would understand what this season means. Jesus, we thank you that you love us and you take care of us. Thank you that you saved us. And I pray that we would be humble and wise this morning to to understand what it meant that you were here among us. Be with Brian as he speaks. And uh, Jesus, I pray that you would bless this day and that this time would just be a time of worship. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. I want to uh, invite you to keep your Bible open as we uh, look at the topic of joy this morning. Uh, last week we looked at peace, and uh, this morning we'll look at joy. And I, I talked about last week that there are, there are things in the Bible um, that we easily can understand, that we grasp, and we, we want to do, we want to live out, we want to help and be kind to people, and, and those things that we grasp. And then there are things um, like peace and joy that maybe have more of a disconnect. And... Um, the idea that God wants to give us joy to live with in our life as a, as a regular part of our life, to be spirit-filled, is to have joy in our life. To me, there's a disconnect um, from just the routine of life. Um, if you turn on the news, um, basically the news almost every day is about people hurting each other, people being mean to each other, people um, physically hurting each other. Um, there's just not a lot of joy there. 
Um, we think about just the challenges of life. We think about trying to raise our kids, trying to have a healthy marriage, trying to be a good friend. And there are, um, there are regular challenges in life. And so this idea of joy, um, studying joy this week was uh, one of those things where, okay, my options are this. Number one, um, I can kind of fake it and just be like, let's just talk about joy with a big happy face and ignore the reality in my own heart that I just don't sense joy in the world that we live in. Or I can try to be honest with myself and study honestly what the Bible says and try to think and contemplate about joy and what that actually looks like. So here's what we know. From Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit um, is joy. And so we need to think about that. So that's number one. That's been kind of our our go-to passage. And he says before that that the, that the works of the flesh are things that are destructive, that hurt each other, that um, break down community. And so those are the negative things. So joy is an important part of our life. So, okay, I, I get that. Um, let's think about, though, let's, let's step back from that one verse and go big for a few moments, and then we'll zero back in on the words of Jesus. So, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2, uh, we read it, it's in the bulletin, says this, uh, that the angel of the Lord appeared to them. We'll go to the Christmas story. It's Christmas time. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now, uh, the, the Greek word great here is mega. All right, so there is mega joy. Uh, we don't really use mega a lot. Maybe um, I was trying to think of how we use it today. Not a lot. Maybe it's used in the lottery, the mega lottery. All right, some huge amount of money or something. But the angels announced this mega joy. The words before that, though, uh, Luke chapter 2, um, I bring you good news. The word good news is, uh, we've talked about this word, the Greek word euangelion, which, which is another word that just means good news. So we've got two, I, two words here, joyful news and mega joy. That's what the angels are saying. So at the birth of Christ. So before Jesus is even on the, the earth, the angels announce joyful news, mega joy. That's how the life of, of Jesus is announced. If you turn then, you don't have to, but I'll just turn quickly. Matthew chapter 28, and I can just, I'll, just, I'll just share it with you. Matthew chapter 28, when um, the women find out that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, they announce mega joy. Mega joy. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descends for the first time on the disciples and the community of believers there, the eyewitnesses are disturbed because of this celebration, because of this thing that happens. The Holy Spirit descends and people are speaking in languages. There's winds, there's fire, and there's this joyful celebration. And people are unsure how to deal with it, and they say things like, are these guys drunk? There's like, there's something going on here. Later on, at the end of Acts chapter 2, the description of the early church is joy. Generous joy. 
Paul writes in his letters, he actually commands us to be joyful. The book of Psalms, if you want to pick one book of the Bible that talks about joy, it's just, it is the book of Psalms. So, the Bible regularly talks about joy, this mega joy. And we live in, we live about uh, our daily lives and we, we struggle with this. Because I feel like um, many of us, the, the natural inclination of how we live life is not joyful, it's, it's sorrow, it's discouragement, it's, for some people, hopelessness. And so we need to try to reconcile what the Bible says about this joy, 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 and okay, and here's reality. And how do we bring these two things together? Let's begin with just a few definitions of joy, and I, I'll uh, share with you a few different people and then um, kind of a combination of, of what the Bible says. So, um, joy, what is this about? Well, here's one thing that was interesting just before I get to the definition is that there's some organization that, that measures um, joy slash happiness of countries in the world. All right? And so they pick the most happy countries, the most joyful countries in the world, and um, I wonder where we rank, the United States of America. Well, number 13 this year, according to uh, this one organization, and that, I think that was from 2015, we are the, as a people, we are the 13th most happy nation in the world. And um, part of that, though, has to do with what I would consider to be a counterfeit joy. A counterfeit joy. And a counterfeit joy has to do with being happy and being joyful based on how your life is going. If life is going well, if things are going, relationships are happy, work's great, um, you're healthy, then you're joyful. Then things, then life is good. But the Bible gives us an another definition, another way to understand joy. We do know this, that the universal desire within all people is to be joyful, to be happy. We all want that. It doesn't matter where you are, where you live, and married, single, old, young. There's something within all of us that we want to be ha happy. We want, we want to enjoy our lives. That's why um, we all know people like this. We all know people that have a natural disposition towards being in a good mood. They're joyful people. They're happy people. They're popular people. And then, um, you know, I don't know. I feel like that's a, kind of a minority. Then there's like the rest of us that are kind of like, Right? We're just kind of like, we just fight for that. We, we, we have to like wrestle to be in a good mood. And those people that are by their personality types are just fun to be around. What does the Bible say about joy? I came across one. Uh, this is a guy named John Piper. And here's what he said, helping us understand what the Bible says about joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And that's pretty useful. That's pretty helpful. Another um, person I read talked about joy as being um, a buoyancy in your life, almost like a, a spiritual life jacket when the sorrows of the world want to pull you under, that you need something in your life. You need something to lift you up. You need some sort of buoyancy in your life to sustain you. Someone else I read this week said that Joy is a delight in God and in the salvation that he has given to us through Jesus Christ. One guy I read this week, his name is uh, R.C. Sproul, probably one of the most intelligent theologians that's uh, still living 
uh, a Reformed theologian. He's the guy that will explain German and Latin, all these languages, and just he's a brilliant man. And here's his definition of joy. He, he wrote, joy is Jesus, others, you. And I'm like, I, I was expecting like something really thoughtful and long paragraph on joy. And I'm like, R.C. Sproul, joy. Okay, Jesus, all right. So if you like that, there you go. That wasn't all that helpful for me, but that's what he came up with, all right? Maybe it's good for you. So joy, uh, a definition of joy has to do with not the circumstances of life, but something that Jesus Christ can produce in your life to sustain you, to give you hope. And it's interesting how um, when we look at the life of Christ, and, and some of you will know this, but if you think about the first public miracle that Jesus Christ does, he doesn't heal somebody. He doesn't heal a blind person or, or bring someone back from the dead. He doesn't cast out a demon. Do you remember what he does? He turns water into wine. He's at a wedding feast, right? And it's getting low. And Jesus specifically does this to teach us something about joy, that the reason why Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, to bring joy to people's life, to to understand that life is a gift and to celebrate that. Here's what's funny, a little bit of insight into this miracle that Jesus does. Six jugs, and these, each jug held 20 to 30 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine, right? Six times 20 or six times 30, that's a whole lot of celebration. That's um, a whole lot of fun, I guess, people are having. And so we don't think, I mean, honestly, um, I was reading a little bit, uh, it was a quote from Nietzsche, a German philosopher, and he was like, the best argument for why Christianity is a joke is you look at the life of Christians, and they're the most joyless, boring, hopeless people I've ever met in my life. The best argument is just look at them. They're just glum all the time. And, and we look at the Bible, again, and there's this disconnect, is mega joy. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, that feeling, I just don't, I'm not like a mega joy. I just don't feel a lot of mega joy as far as the day-to-day -to, -day to my life. So it causes us to like think a little bit more and, and try to be clear in what the Bible says, okay? So let's go back just for, um, can you put the, the uh, definition that we had up here just for one second of, of joy? So the Apostle Paul tells us, in fact, he commands us to think this way. But there's something in our life, and here's the good news, it's produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. Um, we'll, we'll, we're going to look at the words of Christ here in just a minute, but let me just help clarify what the Bible actually says about joy. It's not saying that life is, is happy all the time. In fact, Jesus is going to say there's sorrow. But underneath the sorrow, there's joy. All right, and, he, and I, I like our apricot tree. So this apricot tree has been here. You can tell it right there. It's really, really old. And if you look at it right now, it doesn't look very joyful. There's not much like the, the leaves. There's barely any leaves on it. But listen, here's what the Bible is saying about joy. Inside that tree, joy is working. Jo, jo, there's joy inside. It's just you can't see it right now, but you come back here in March, it's going to be a joyful-looking tree. You come back in June, it's going to be mega joy. 
There's going to be fruit everywhere on this thing. And so while we, we live in, we do live in sorrow. There are times of sorrow. But the Bible's definition of joy is that beneath the sorrow, the joy can be working in your life. And that's what's so important. That's what gives us hope. So uh, let, let's finish this way. We need to be alert, number one, to the things that can steal our joy, things that can rob us of what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. All right? And then number two, we'll, look at, we'll finish up with this, with the uniqueness of this joy. What is it that makes this joy that Christ wants to give to us so unique? So let's think about this. The warnings, things in our life that can steal your joy. Um, again, we are all very unique people. We all have different personality types. We all have levels of discipline in our lives. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And so this idea of what is it that can steal joy from you will be different for all of us. Some of you have great perseverance. And some of us are, are more weak. And we are very susceptible to things in our life that can steal our joy. We can think about it this way. Why do things affect me so easily? Why am I so easily discouraged? Why do I naturally default towards hopelessness? Why do I regularly engage um, an attitude of despair? Why, why can't I live consistently joyful? I ask those questions just because those are things I've thought about this week. And so we need to be alert, we need to be aware of, of things that can steal our joy. And let, let's to be alert to this and be aware, let's turn to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. Romans chapter 8, um, <clears throat> a very familiar verse says this. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And we can, we can be trite with that verse and just say you're supposed to walk around like a cheerleader and be happy all the time and, and then everyone knows you're a fake behind the facade of always smiling. Or we can try to think about this verse in a way that's, that helps us and we can be alert to things that can steal our joy. So the verse is saying this, that for the Christian, God turns bad things into good. And that, that is just something we need to think about. And think about, it. here's a few implications of that truth. Number one is this, is the word all. All is really important. All things happen to Christians. And you need to be on guard and be alert that just because you're a Christian, that you're going to be protected from things. Here, here is the truth. The Apostle Paul says this, that all things happen to you. Whatever bad thing has happened to a friend of yours or a bad thing to other people, um, get sick and die when you're 25, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean... Uh, the Bible does not promise that all of us are going to live to 95, be married for 60 years, have healthy kids, have healthy grandkids, die in your sleep and just go on to the eternal. Right? That is not true. Life is equally brutal and unfair for everyone. 
We have to be alert to this as a Christian because this will steal our joy. If you think that you wear some special little cloak or clothes because you're a Christian, you're misinformed. That the world is equally painful to believers, to people who follow Jesus Christ, as it is to anyone else. We don't get a get-out-of-jail card in life from pain. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. People that we love, people that we care about, get sick, get hurt. Relationships break down. Divorce happens. Hurtful things happen. That is what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's all things. All things are going to happen. We are not immune to the pain of the world. Number two, the implication that God turns bad things into good is this, is that God, God, not you, is the one who will turn these bad things into good. And that's what you have to, we have to be able to rest in this. That you don't have to be controlling everything, that you don't have to act like you have to be in charge of everything and trying to make sure everyone's good and right and healthy. God is the one who is sovereignly in control and He is the one who is working these things out for good in your life. Here's what it means. It means that we wait with perseverance. It means we wait with hope. It means that we, we live our lives in confidence knowing that God is the one who is in, in control. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, you can believe this, that God is the one who is working these things out for good, that He will not give up on you. So whatever thing you're going through, whatever challenge you might be enduring this morning, you can rest in the confidence that somehow, some way, God is working this out for good. Even if this thing was bad and horrible. And we've all experienced this. We, I, we, we've all experienced horrible pain and loss. And we don't always know why or how God will turn that thing into good. We just don't know. Now, I'll give you a, a more lighthearted example. And um, when I was uh, in my 20s, I, after college, I, I'd build houses. And um, I wasn't very good at it. And, you know, sometimes I'll, people in their 20s will ask me about life and, and career things. And I'll, here's like a general rule that I, I normally say to people is, um, do you like it? Is it fun? Do you enjoy it? Are you going to work really hard at it? And number two, though, are, are, will someone pay you to do it? Right? You, so you have to enjoy it, but you also have to have the idea that someone's going to pay you to do it. So you can't, like if I'd love to paint, uh, no one's going to pay me to do it. So that check that off as a way to provide it. So building houses, um, I wasn't very good at it. And um, over a period of time, I, I realized that people weren't going to pay me enough to um, have a a career at it. And, and one of the ways I found that out was I, I was sheeting a roof with a nail gun and I thought I would play with it for a second and I accidentally shot myself in the finger with a nail gun. <laughs> and at the time, it, you know, it, it just it hurt a little bit but wasn't, wasn't an overly big deal. And um, kind of a, a classic guy who's in their 20s, you know, the, the boss pulls it out and you're fine and I think I'm okay, go back to work. Well, that night, um, my finger started sweating. And it's really weird that I could have one little part of your body sweating and being, feeling, feeling fine. Well, my finger was super hot and sweating. And I'm like, that's weird. That's probably not good. So <laughs> later on the next day, I went to the doctor. And they were, um, they were like, you're really smart. You came in. If you would have waited a little bit longer, 
they said they were going to have to like cut my arm open because the infection was going up my arm because I guess the nail went through a knuckle and the nail was dirty and this infection was going on. I didn't know it. So then I got, um, in, in, in Washington State, I think it was called LNI, I'm not even sure what that stands for, but I got um, state money because I couldn't work. And I was a single guy and I remember, I think I got like 20 or $30 a day from the state of Washington because I was, couldn't work because I had injured myself. And I almost like, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's another direction in my life that my life should go that besides construction, I'm just, I'm, I'm not all that great at it and I hurt myself and I'm like, you know, you're kind of bummed out at the time. But th listen, that's a, a very kind of silly, lighthearted example of how something bad can change your life or something good. Because I listen, if I was really good at construction, uh, I wouldn't be living here now. We, we probably wouldn't exist as a church, so thank God I was bad and we're, we'd do something else. Um, but here's the, that, that is, is honestly a lighthearted thing. The reality is this, though, is when we experience pain or death or loss, those are significant. And those are things that we really question. We, we wrestle with deeply about how can God use us for good. And that's where you, you have to trust. What is the alternative to live in bitterness, to live in brokenness, or to trust that somehow this thing that was horribly painful, that doesn't make any sense, that there's some mysterious way that the sovereign God who loves you can turn that into something good in your life. And if you don't, the alternative is that you will not live with joy, that that will still your, the joy from your life. So we need to be alert to life that all things can happen to us. And if we don't guard our heart and believe and trust that somehow God is using this for good, it can take joy out of your life. And here, the, the reality is this, is that unfortunately people will live like this for years and years and decades. And they recoil and they separate from friends and community. And bitterness grabs a hold of them, and they're joyless, and it's heartbreaking. So be alert. Be on guard to things that can steal your joy. Let's finish up with this. Let's look at the words of Christ of how he says some really significant things in John chapter 16. Helpful things of how do we turn sorrow into joy. Okay, so let's finish up by looking at John chapter 16. We understand what joy is that the Holy Spirit produces something within us, this, this delight in Jesus Christ. We're alert to the idea that things can steal that joy from us. And now let's finish up with looking at how Jesus Christ can turn sorrow into joy. How is that even possible? So John chapter 16, this is the final hours of Jesus Christ. The context is this. The disciples are confused. Um, they're hurting, they're angry, they've spent the last three years with Jesus Christ and he is about to die on the cross. If you recall that um, mob violence is happening, um, they're coming to get Jesus, he's betrayed, he's been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, John chapter 17, he talks about joy. In this time of life, and this is how the Bible connects to real life. Um, at the beginning, I talked about how we feel a disconnect. Well, here's how it connects. The disciples are confused, hurting, they're unsure. 
They're at their end. And, and Jesus is going to talk to them about life. And here's what he says, verse 20. Chapter 16, verse 20 says this, Truly, truly. And whenever, whenever you hear that repetition, when Jesus says something like that, truly, truly, that means hey, we need to be extra. He says this, I'm telling you the truth, friends. I'm speaking truth to you. This is what you can build your life on. And here's what he says. You will weep and lament. Now when the apostle John combines those words, it's regularly connected to death. Jesus is saying, so we cannot be surprised about the sorrows of life. He's saying to the disciples, you, you are going, this is intense, deep sorrow. And then he says this, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. All right, so that's, this is the words of Jesus Christ, that there is sorrow in life. And I, okay, I don't, I don't think I need to try to persuade you that that is true. We, we experience this in life. So we, we agree with you, Jesus, that there is sorrow in this world. But then he says this, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And that's what we need to understand. That's, that's how we can live, and that's how we can enjoy Christmas, uh, this time that is often a joyful mirage. For many people, Christmas is a joyful mirage. It's just not real. And so we have this opportunity to transform sorrow into joy by listening and learning from the words of Christ. He gives us, Jesus gives this example of, of birth, of, of a woman giving birth. And it's, it's clear and to the point. He says this, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. Okay, so here's number one. Here's what's unique, or here's, here's how we turn sorrow into joy. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, that joy coexists with sorrow, or that joy overlaps sorrow. That while you might be experiencing sorrow right now, you can at the same time have joy that transcends or it overlaps sorrow. Or that it will that joy, that sorrow can be transformed into joy. And he just gives the example of giving birth. Any, um, any woman here that has delivered a baby can look back and say, there was pain, but I would, I would never, or I would freely give up that pain for my child. Right? You can, at that instant, that instantaneous experience where there's pain, and you have to, you have to recall that when this is being written, right, there's not a lot of pain medicine like we have today. So excruciating pain, and then the baby is delivered and, and given to the mother, and Jesus says, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world so that sorrow and joy coexist, but joy overlaps the sorrow. So, how do we turn sorrow into joy? It's you know that joy coexists with sorrow and that joy overlaps sorrow. Um, Isaiah chapter th uh, 53 says this, that Jesus is a man of sorrows, that he is acquainted with grief. But in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that the joy that was set before him. So there is this, 
this dichotomy, this, this feeling of sorrow and joy, but they come together because of what Jesus Christ is teaching here and that joy overlaps. Here's what else is unique about it. Jesus says this, verse 22, See also that you have sorrow now. So he's repeating, you have sorrow now. Why? Because Jesus Christ is going to the cross. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. What is he referring to there? He's referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's referring to the resurrection of himself. And just as the women who saw that the tomb was empty, this mega joy, what secures a, a joy for us today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we can live with joy that according to Jesus Christ, it cannot be taken from you. And he finishes, up, he finishes up with this. Here's how we activate this in verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me, but truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And the context here is joy. The context is that in the midst of sorrow, that joy is available to you. A joy that can transform um, the, a, a sorrow that is transformed into joy and a joy that cannot be taken from you. If you ask in the name of Jesus. I, I've struggled with that, trying to understand what this is about. And um, Tim Keller summarizes it this way. What does this mean to pray in Jesus' name? He writes this. It means three things. Number one, to pray humbly. That you understand that when you pray in the name of Jesus, that you understand who Jesus Christ is. Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One, our Lord and Savior, that we pray with humility. Next, you pray with boldness because Jesus tells you to pray that He will restore the sorrowful heart into a joyful heart. And then next is with intimacy, that you pray with intimacy because He says this, you ask of the Father, that's a really important word. Think about it this way. If, you, if any of you were to call me uh, at 2 a.m. and say, um, Brian, my, my throat hurts. Um, can you get me a throat lozenger? I would be like, why are you calling me at 2 a.m. for this? Now, I'd probably be like secretly nice and a bit grumpy inside, right? Um, if my child asked me that, I would say, go ask your mother. No, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Only your children can wake you up at 2 in the morning. And you're going to help them. Right? We have to understand this. That is the intimacy that Jesus is talking about. That you can ask your Heavenly Father anything. And He won't be grumpy. You can wake Him up at 3 in the morning and and plead with him. Uh, the reality is this, is that sometimes we do wake up in the middle of the night with sorrow, and we don't know what to do. We've all been there. Some, sometimes we turn to the TV or a bowl of cereal or something to get us through to help us go back to sleep. And what I want to offer to you is the idea that in the midst of sorrow, 
The Bible says sorrow is real. It's true. It exists. Jesus says. But that if you pray and ask in the name of Jesus, that he promises to be there for you. Uh, I read a story this week about a guy. His name was R.A. Torrey. Lived a long, long time ago. And it was part of Moody Bible uh, Institute and part of um, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. This is in the early 1900s. And uh, his daughter was 12 years old and she died of diphtheria. And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, just, just heart-wrenching anguish. And uh, he, he wrote about his life and he said just uh, a few days after the passing of his daughter, he was walking to work and he talked about how he could, he could barely walk. And he just stopped on the sidewalk. This is in downtown Chicago, I think it was. And he just prayed. And it was the idea that I, I can't go on. The idea of losing my daughter, that I, that I wasn't there and I wasn't able to be there for my daughter and she died. And this time, diphtheria, you know, it was contagious and, and it was, um, she had to be buried quickly. And, and he, he wrote about how the Holy Spirit, at the moment he prayed that prayer, that his heart was changed and that the Holy Spirit gave him peace and joy. Um, but what's interesting is he said that is that for the rest of his life, he missed his daughter and that for the rest of his life, he lived with sorrow. And so the idea that sorrow and joy coexist is a Christian truth. But it's also the idea that joy overlaps or joy can transform sorrow. That we can function and live in a way that shows that Jesus Christ is a part of our life. Um, I am so thankful that I had the opportunity to think and study because I'm, I, I can be skeptical about things and not when I don't feel a connection with real life and what the Bible says about joy. But I can tell you that I am so sincerely thankful that we have John chapter 16 when Jesus says, you're going to have sorrow. I'm like, okay, I, I, I get this now. But through Jesus Christ, he can transform that. Um, it is my hope that we can, as a church family, that we can live with joy. We all have struggles. We all have sorrows. But know that we can leave here and live with joy because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because he is alive today and he has given us his Holy Spirit to point us to Christ, to point us to live with resurrection power. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we finish up our time here this morning, that we could sing with joy in our hearts. I pray that those who are experiencing sorrow right now, that they can sing with joy in their hearts because you are alive. That your Holy Spirit can speak truth into our lives. Father, I pray that as we enter into the next week and a half, as, as Christmas comes, that despite the sorrows that come, that joy will not be a mirage, that it will be true, that it will be real because of who you are. I pray that when the temptation comes to be hopeless or to be filled with despair, that we would pray in your name, that we would boldly pray in your name, that we, we need your help, that we need your, the source of joy that only comes from you. Father, we do love you and we are so thankful. We are grateful for your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.